Hello, my name is Julia Streets and welcome to Diversity Podcast, talking about diversity and inclusion in financial services. This episode was recorded in December 2017, published in January 2018. In each episode, we seek to shine a light on successful progress, call out areas requiring further focus and offer practical ideas to help drive change. And one of the joys of financial services is that it is a wide ranging industry Institutional versus retail, capital markets to wealth management, B2B, B2C, B2B2C. And in this series, we believe there is great merit in opening out some discussion and exploring some of these contrasting worlds to tease out some of the best ideas from right across the industry. And today I'm delighted to be joined by two guests, Kathy Lyle from the world of capital markets and Matt Elliott from the world of banking. Cathy Lyle has enjoyed a prestigious career as a senior executive in some of the world's largest capital markets firms. Today, she is a non-executive director, advisor, and more recently, investor in early-stage capital markets fintech firms as a co-founder of Seismic Foundry. Cathy, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Matt Elliott is the people director of Virgin Money and as a member of the executive team, has played a key role in building the business leading to its listing in 2014. In 2016, Matt and Virgin worked with the Treasury to produce a report empowering productivity, harnessing the talent of women in financial services. And like Cathy, Matt has received many industry accolades and is a regular commentator on diversity and inclusion. Matt, thank you for joining us. As always on Diversity Podcast, we invite each guest to take one minute to talk about what they're up to. Cathy, let me start with you. What are you up to at the moment? Uh, thanks, Julia. Well, after a 30-year career in capital markets in financial services, uh, myself and four partners decided about a year ago to really look at what the future of our world looks like in capital markets. And obviously, fintech is a massive part of that. Uh, there's disruption taking place. There's a lot of challenges. We have regulatory challenges. We have business challenges. And certainly outside financial services, there are a lot of um, areas where disruption is absolutely going to undermine what we're doing and you're already seeing that in payments. So Seismic Foundry is a pure capital markets fintech uh, discretionary fund. We were very, very early stage, right at the seed investment stage, SEIS and EIS. And our goal, one of the reasons we did that is we've all come out of large financial institutions. We all care about how culture has evolved over the last 10 or 20 years, particularly in financial services. We think uh, values and ethics have been undermined significantly and there's a lot of people who are coming out who haven't had necessarily uh, very good management training. When I started in the markets in 1987, your word truly was your bond. And it was customer first, company second, me third. And that got flipped on its head. And I think Lehman's, et cetera, was the result of that. So we want to invest in a very, very early stage. We want to sit on the board. We want to make a true partnership with these early companies. We care about their culture. We care about their structure. We care about governance. And our goal is to nurture these businesses so that by the time they get to the VC, PE end of the, of the scale, we've ironed out founder issues. We've got a really good governance structure in place. We've got a really good culture. And we think that will make a very big difference to how financial services evolve going forward. It's a little bit that we can do. And, and presumably the world of diversity and inclusion, when we talk about culture, this comes back, to, we come back to this time and time again, and the importance of leadership as well. So there's much in that that we will be exploring. So thank you very much. Thanks. Um, Matt, let me turn to you now, as you have one minute to talk about the big things in your, in your life at the moment. Thank you. So I think it's a bit of context. Uh, Virgin Money, where I'm the people director, we've got 3.3 million customers in the UK. Uh, we're a UK-only bank. Very proud of our uh, customer advocacy of plus 40. So over the past few years, post the Northern Rock acquisition, we've been busy. 
Um, and we're very fortunate to be looking ahead and be very excited to our future as well. Roaming up into business lending, we're building our plans to do that. And um, we're well along the way in terms of building a digital bank. It's really exciting for us. And one of the key things that really um, excites me about the organisation is exactly our culture. Mm-hmm. So we, we express that our ethos is expressed as making everyone better off. And I've been with the company nearly seven years now, but that ethos has been there for 10 years. So we've really stayed the course on it. And as a people director, it kind of makes my life easier, really, because, of course, that everyone in everyone's better off talks to, by definition, in inclusion. Um, and so we've been particularly active over the last few years, um, predominantly so around gender equality as a result of our CEO being asked to work with the government around productiv- uh, productivity gap and how gender equality could help close that productivity gap. Um, and so obviously I'll talk a bit more about that. We've also been very transparent around our pay gap approach. We disclosed a year early. I'm very proud around our approach that all this fits with our making everyone better off approach being really transparent in what we do. And and the things that really excited me as well around our, our partnerships at the moment. So when it comes to better ethnic inclusion in the UK, which I believe we need to do a lot more around, we've got a really exciting partnership with the Black British Business Awards, which we're launching uh, in 2018, uh, which is to accelerate the progression of middle managers in organisations. So it's, I'm excited because it's a cross-industry approach with the Black British Business Awards. Uh, We also have launched a credit card with Stonewall, which we've called the Rainbow Card. I think it's great from a customer point of view, but I'm really excited as a company that we're making a connection with an organisation like Stonewall. And proceeds for the use of the card do go to Stonewall as well. So for me, it's exactly one of those examples of making everyone better off. And and the, the strategic partnerships, I think, is very interesting in terms of how Organization. We're seeing a lot around uh, not only internal uh, allegiances and alliance and allies, if you like, but also how organisations are coming together around kind of uh, sort of key causes, and and in the appetites to recruit from better places or, or more diverse places is thinking about the the Black British Awards as well is, is is really interesting to explore about where do you find young ethnic talent uh, for those middle management jobs as well so again we'll, we'll most certainly come back to that as well thank you Matt so Cathy have you, have you seen in the world of capital markets is there has there been a growing appreciation of the value of diversity inclusion because DNI can just be a tick in the box. It can just be a a piece of marketing marketing rhetoric. Are you, are you seeing at the leadership levels that people can can see the opportunity to compete and differentiate and really drive business performance? I think the short answer is yes, but there are many nuanced answers below that, mm-hmm. and it's very it depends a lot on the organisation, uh, which sector it's in in financial services, even where it's located globally. Uh, as, as you said earlier, I, I've, I've had the privilege to sit on some bank boards. I've also been involved right at the grassroots roots level of, of doing startups. And I would say at that very, very senior level, there is a, a great awareness of it. And I think there's absolutely a buy and it's not just a box ticking exercise. I think it's been proven over and over again. The businesses where they have allowed that diversity to flourish are absolutely the most successful. Also in financial services, we've we've had some pretty big crises over the last uh, 20 years. And it's been, it's a scientific fact that uh, it was, uh, there was a really interesting thing I put out on my, on my um, Twitter feed a week or two ago. It's a, it was a study out of a university in the US and they looked at um, traditional male behaviour in the context of um, 
where you have to compete in an, in an environment in, like financial services. So you looked at law, financial services and medicine. And uh, they looked at it going right back to, I guess, primal, what we were as primal beings. And they discovered there's some just embedded ways that men will react versus the way women react that goes back to um, there, there weren't many men, there were a lot more women. The women got, had to be very choosy who they mated with because it was nine months out of the clan, I guess. So there was a lot, there was a selection process. And so men would compete for the, the female that was perceived to be doing, you know, could do the best job with keeping the clan going on if you like mm-hmm. and that that, that prime what those primal urges flow through to the way people can react in stressful situations where they have to make quick decisions about things so um the this whole it was over 10 years they looked at lot they had thousands thousands of people through it but basically it showed that if you put two alpha men up against each other in a negotiation it will eventually it could it event inevitably something will happen it, um it can be cataclysmic it can go sour or in fact um deals will be done that perhaps take it over the grey line, if you mm-hmm. like. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas if you put a, a female and a male against each other, that doesn't happen as much. So you tend to get uh, less aggressive type behaviour as far as deal doing. You'll get less compromises being made around deals, so you get better business deals being done, which means the business is more successful. It's just one interesting thing yeah. around and, it. And, and, and there's a very good book uh, written by Barbara Annis, who we've in- interviewed uh, on, a, on a, another podcast. And it was her, actually, and a guy called Richard Nesbitt, who used to be mm-hmm. the ex-CEO, I think it was the ex-CEO, of a TMX group, oh. the Toronto-Montreal Stock Exchange. And, and they said what was very interesting is if you look at actually deal-making and if you look at uh, how businesses um, are successful is that actually there are very male behaviours around you know go for a deal and it doesn't work then then abandon it move on mm. right have a go at it move on and actually it was women and again I don't want to make sweeping generalisations who would take their time and say actually let's analyse this and put it apart a bit more and actually let's go back to some deals that didn't work perhaps a year ago and bring those to light again yeah. and when you get the nurturing personalities and when you get that to work really well as a board that actually uh, you could be you could be exploring potential you hadn't perhaps perhaps seen before absolutely and 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 on that more geographical theme i'm, I'm australian i i came through financial services in australia I, my first job was on the trading floor i started on monday the 19th of october 1987 so the crash my first day what about, a day to start i know right <laughs> <laughs> everyone was saying last in first out so i thought it'd be the shortest career in history uh as it turns out it was quite busy uh so there was a you know about 800 people down the floor three or five females at the time. I think at the peak we had about 1,200 on the floor in the early 90s, about 35 women, so not a very high percentage and certainly not very many on the phones or in the pit doing the trading, a lot more doing the administration roles. But even back then I had access to great mentors, male and female. I had access to a mentor on the board of our bank. Uh, there was there was plenty of places to meet other women that were in senior roles and there was a lot of... Um, a lot of a, a lot of push behind doing that in Australia. And when I moved to the UK in 2002, I didn't find any of that in financial services. And and I in fact started a kind of a women's networking lunch when I was at the Chicago Board of Trade with the London Capital Club just to get women together. And the first one was such a success. We managed to get lots of really interesting speakers, Julian Tett and others, mm-hmm. uh, because we would talk about interesting topics obviously but also just as a way to share what was going on and, and that was very much lacking in the UK and I, I found that very interesting because I'd come from a much smaller 
financial services area, if you like, quite sophisticated, but very small and very and much more remote. And here in the UK, it was much further behind. So I, I, I've always felt like we were catching up a bit here about with things that were going on maybe in Southeast Asia. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we're there now. I was going to say, and, and, and do, you, do you see that that acceleration has sort of paid off? Uh, and, and But maybe this is a good time to actually turn to you, Matt, because your, your, your paper with the Treasury that's looking at, you know, kind of uh, productivity and performance through harnessing kind of the, the, the gender perspective. Do, have you seen an acceleration? Are you seeing that that continues to change or, or has it been a plodding pace? Well, I think just as a little bit of context to the work. So it started two years ago and the British government were investigating productivity and the, the relative lack of performance for the country when you look globally on that measure. Um, and they identified of all the industries that financial services had the best starting representation for women, but one of the worst senior representations for women. So obviously something was happening in the start to towards end of career that needed to be understood and hopefully action taken to change. And if that could be achieved, the UK economy actually would be in that much of a better position. So that was the backdrop, obviously, you know, with the female CEO at Virgin Money, uh, Jane Angardi was asked by the government to, to investigate this and come up with proposals. Mm-hmm. Um, the work that was done, extensive research, so we identified that 14% of executive committees were made up of women in 2015. Um, so not a representative picture or one that I think is uh, acceptable by any kind of standard. Um, as a result, the Women in Finance Review re- made recommendations, which became a charter. And it's based on the old adage of what gets measured gets done, really. And so they're pretty straightforward, but I think really impactful. And the, the asks are to measure what needs to be done, to recommend and commit to targets, make those public and report on them, report on progress or explain lack of, to have an executive sponsor in place, if this is a key issue, that should have a key sponsor, and to connect senior remuneration to the outcomes as well. On the same principle that if this is truly an important issue, of course, senior people should be rewarded on the basis of it to a degree. Mm-hmm. Um, And so I think, you know, on the measure of how much progress has been made, we've got now 162 companies signed up to the charter. And I think that's that's great progress. Um, That's a lot of organisations that are making a commitment, a very public commitment to what they intend to do and promising to report against their progress. For me, by definition, that means they will take action. So there's the really positive point. Because isn't there a risk that actually... Because we hear a lot of people signing up to the Charter and whether that just becomes another tick in the box. And talk us through, are you, are you seeing a bit of that or or actually are you seeing that people are serious in their commitment? Well, it, it admittedly is early days. The fact that they have signed up means they are committed year on year to talking to the progress they're making. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the essential point here. As straightforward as that is, it means this can't be a flash in the pan. There's a public commitment year on year. That's the important thing. Now, the very first cycle of reporting, actually, for the companies who have signed up is early in the new year. So I'll be able to, obviously, we'll all be able to see, actually, what the progress is by then. I mean, I'd be realistic about the amount of change we'll have seen in that time. So organisations haven't necessarily been from a standing start here, uh, but there is a lot of work to do. So I very much see this as a... Around 2020, we'll start to see really material changes as a result of this initiative. Um, but I certainly know a lot of actions being taken that wouldn't have been otherwise. And so there was an update uh, recently by the uh, new financial organisation which talked to 
for signatories, the degree of action they've gone into and the type of actions they've been taking that I think is particularly informative. Um, and so there's now a heck of a lot of best practice out there. So companies are, are in action if they've pledged. It's encouraged them to do that. And can you share some examples of where the best practice seems to you to, to sit? Well, um, if, I, if I talk to another organisation and maybe come back to Virgin Money, mm-hmm. uh, so, I mean, just recently, uh, Aviva have publicised a new approach to parental pay and leave. Um, they've taken, I think, a really brave step there that shows their commitment to family life, actually, as well as work life. Um, so six-month full pay off for a parent um, and so that doesn't need to be swapped out in any way and I think that's a bold step to take and I think that does lead the way um, and obviously as a financial services industry I think if we weren't seeing the commitment then we wouldn't be seeing actions like that taking place from our perspective being very public about what we intend to, to do and to achieve which is to be balanced at every level in the organisation so it does mean entry level for us as much as it does the senior executive end of the company it's encouraged us to get a lot more creative and focused about the action that we're taking Um, and so uh, to give you an example our own approach to parental leave we've matched parental pay with maternity pay so we've effectively taken uh, pay out of the equation as to in a in a couple Mm -hmm. whatever the couple Mm -hmm. makeup is who takes the time off We've, to a large degree, taken pay out of that equation. We've had to get a lot more creative about how we attract talent to the organisation. So we commit to matching flexible working practices that somebody might be experiencing elsewhere. And I say somebody on purpose because it's men and women that we're appealing to who may have flexible working practices that really work for them where they are today. It might be time for their career to change and to move on. And I think a barrier today has been a fear of leaving that flexible working practice behind. We wanted to take that out of the equation so the career move could just be that. And it's interesting you say that because actually on one of our previous podcasts we had uh, Asif Sadiq, who was honours with an MBE actually this year for his work and diversity inclusion. He's ex-City of London Police and now head of DNI at, at EY. And, and he was talking about that very topic of actually about once you remove the, the money equation and the balance equation about uh, impact on career prospects, if you like, um, saying so actually one, one of the things that they're really focused on is is encouraging real modeling so actually saying to particularly men going well take it you know it's there for you and and, and from, from from your work do you see that more men are taking advantage of what's available there and taking it as seriously uh, and so it doesn't again just become a policy that's available but but actually is ignored we, we do we are which is fantastic to see and so we have, in Virgin Money, we have about 80 women take maternity leave in a, in a given year. You know, on average, it's around that kind of number. Um, this year, we'll have seen around 40 men effectively take part of that maternity leave in, in, in place of their partner, if you like. Mm-hmm. So men are taking time uh, at home in a way that they didn't do before in the organisation and couldn't be prouder of that. I think that changes the whole dynamic around having children and building a family and being able to balance that with work. Um, and so it's building up. We've been doing that for two and a half years now and we saw a slow take-up. I think there is a psychological barrier in there for men um, to actually get comfortable with stepping into the role that's traditionally obviously been seen as... And frankly, companies have encouraged policies around being a female role entirely. And and I would say on the other side, certainly from 
my experience in financial services inside investment banks, uh, men are equally challenged with the concept of stepping out and taking that paternity leave even if it's offered because if they take a gap, a break, just like the women who have to do it when you have the children, I face that myself, I've got four-year-old twins, they fear that they're, they're part on that career ladder, ladder, you know, everyone wants to get to MD inside the investment bank will be... Um, there'll be a change in how they're viewed. because, And that and that's part of that whole cult- cultural change. I mean, I really applaud what you're doing and what Aviva's doing. These are the, exactly the kind of steps that we need to take. Yeah. But we've still got embedded at that exco and below level a, a whole generation of mostly men that have been brought up a certain way through markets and consciously or unconsciously the bias is still there. I mean, I had I, I consciously went about and set up my own consultancy business when I when I knew that we were going to try and have kids, so I could give myself flexibility. I deliberately told everyone I want to go and do Ned work, so I could give myself flexibility because I knew when the time came I was going to have to take time out, and that would impact my my career. It, it inevitably does. It's very rare that it doesn't, and it's usually on a case by case basis, not because an organisation supporting everybody all the way through. So I think you're, what you're doing is fantastic. I think inside the large investment banks, while there's a lot of will and desire in certain areas, if you're sitting in a trading desk environment or anything like that, or I don't want to name areas <laughs> in case anybody I know says classes. you're talking about me, yeah, but across yeah, all the asset yeah. classes and <clears throat> commodities are even further behind in some ways. Yeah. Uh, I, I would say it's challenging for the men to even ask for something like that. I, I, I can see exactly what people would say. It's yeah. not kind. It's the kind of stuff they used to said to me on the floor in the old days. And, and, and in a future podcast, we're, we're, we're actually very keen to explore across the asset classes because in the world of equities, just just very quickly, the world of equities, you know, it's generally seen to be a little bit more progressive because there have been, you know, the implications of regulation around MIFID one that's got everybody thinking very differently. But then you, as you say, take commodities or even rates. energy and <laughs> rates. I mean, it's it's a it's it's a completely different world for sure. I think just on the commitment of organisations now. I mean, I am seeing. Notwithstanding, we've got a long way to go, Mm. of course, but I am seeing, I think, CEOs, whether it be around gender or any diversity strand, having an opinion and actually standing up and being counted more. Mm -hmm. Not all, Mm -hmm. but significantly more than we've seen before. And I think that's happening for, you know, a good reason. And And if I come back to a little bit about, you know, your question around how much change are we seeing as a result of initiatives like Women in Finance, to a degree, we are going to need to give that some time but I think what's different is there's a bit of a there's a bit of a competitive element there as to the targets that companies have set so out of the number of companies that have actually signed up to the charter about a quarter have set a 50-50 so rather than stepping towards true equality um, they've really gone straight to the no, if, if we mean equality it does mean 50-50 balance so that's what our aim should be. And they might have put different time frame around getting there mm-hmm. to be realistic with it, but they're making the right kind of commitments publicly mm-hmm. now. And I think, you know, there's a combination effect of obviously initi- initiated by the government, but then led by business, operated by business. But I should know regulatory support and involvement as well, you know, because both the Bank of England and the FCA are both signatories of the charter in themselves. I think both buy into the business case around diversity broadly. And that feels quite a unique dynamic for me as well. There are a number of obviously key influences coming together here. And crucially as a result, I just see more savvy from employees now. Mm-hmm. And I think that's helped by social media actually. Mm-hmm. So there is just a greater awareness. And as a result of um, 
other other initiatives that have caught a lot of attention, like pay gap reporting. You know, I think colleagues of organisations now starting to form their own views and and starting to come up with a sense as to who is committed here and who is doing well. And I think in turn and in time, that will lead to them making decisions potentially about where they go and work. Mm-hmm. And it takes on a life of its own, doesn't it? I mean, I mean, it, like you, I'll be really interested to see the results of this in early next year. I, I was surprised how many large financial institutions didn't have women in, women's internal networks even three years ago, four years ago. Most of the ones I know were set up in the last three to four years. So it's a it's all very new mm-hmm. for people. And it, mostly it was set up by senior women and it was being driven by HR. Um, yes, we've seen a lot of CEOs coming out and speaking inside some of the organisations I've been in. I would say that they are committed, um, but it's not a massive focus for them. And I still see you know, favourites and things happening inside organisations. It's just, it's not being managed as well as it could be. But at least it started, at least the conversation started. And the women that are involved with that are starting to feel less fear about having a voice and what the repercussions will be for their careers. So I think step one, let's see these results. Getting into the detail, right, you've got a women's internal network now, you've done X, Y, Z. What's really happening below that? Um, not just with HR involvement, but actually the broader corporate environment. I think that's where the, that measurement needs to be made. Let's take a pause there and turn to Cynthia Akinsanya and Robert Pinto Fernandez, who have been scouring the industry for supporting research. In 2017, Aviva, the UK's biggest insurer, announced a new policy offering men and women equal parental leave. Parents employed by Aviva will be eligible to the same amount of paid and unpaid time off, regardless of gender, sexual orientation or how they became a parent, by birth, adoption or surrogacy. The new policy is part of Aviva's strategy to create a diverse and inclusive working culture in which barriers to career progression are removed. In the UK, Aviva is offering up to one year of leave, of which 26 weeks is at full basic pay. A recent article in Financial News mentioned hedge funds run by women have outperformed the industry average by 20% over the last decade. The Hedge Fund Research Index for Women, which pulls in the performance of hedge funds run by female managers, showed these funds returned 9.4% on average in 2017 pushing 10-year returns to over 70%. This comes despite women representing just 14% of partner-level positions in global hedge funds, according to the recruitment firm DHR International. And this is hopefully sending out a message and piling more pressure onto a sector frequently accused of poor female representation at senior levels. Thank you, Cynthia and Robert. And links to the references and research can be found on our website, diversitypodcast.com. Remember, that's diversity with a C, not an S. You can also sign up for early notifications of future episodes. And please do follow us on Twitter at DiversityPod. And you can find us on all good podcast channels. If you've enjoyed the show, we'd really appreciate a rating. It all helps promote the episodes. So one thing that I've really been thinking about is financial services has a a reputational challenge at the moment. No matter whether you're for the capital markets end or for the B2C end, all product innovation is driven by the ability to get on top of your data, your customer data. Plus also we've got GDPR uh, or the European Directive coming in in that. So firms need to hire data scientists and they also need to hire cybersecurity experts. And the young talents coming through 
doesn't look and feel or behave or come from backgrounds that match the organizations that want to hire them. So I'm really keen to explore that. And that's in, in two areas, really. One is around working with millennials. And then the other is particularly the ethnic diversity mix of employees coming through as well. So where, where should we start? Um, I mean, Cathy, from, from working in, with these fintech firms, do you think that the execs of those fintech firms are thinking about this? It's a very good question, Julia. And I, I, unfortunately, the answer is it depends. Uh, in capital markets, specific fintech, it tends not to be uh, people in their early 20s with these new ideas. Mostly it's people have come out of the larger organisations. They've got frustrated because they can't get their ideas heard or can't get their ideas worked on. They can, fi- they can see how to fix a challenge, even if they get buy-in from the people around them. The large financial institutions are being challenged on all fronts, especially from a regulatory perspective, MIFID II, GDPR, PSD2. Uh, amongst others, and that's happening on a global basis. So traditionally, most financial institutions, their engagement with the pipeline coming through has been very much at that uh, university level, and it's been at the all-star university level. So you you tend to find certain types of kids coming through those organisations. If you look at the A-level stats that have just come out for this last year, uh, only 10% of um, girls graduated from a computing course. So the pipeline is not getting bigger at this stage. And in fact, the stats from the UK tech sector show that only 23% of employees are female right now. So we do have a lot to do around there. And if we're going to really address the future, um, you know, of the digital skills gap, which is getting bigger and bigger, it's estimated to be over 2 million jobs required to be filled by 2020. I mean, we're not very far away from that. And what are we doing about that? So a diverse environment, you know, really addresses this, right? Widening out the base and the skill sets makes a big difference. So inside the large financial institutions, once they get through MIFID II, we're starting to see a little bit of light at the end of tunnel for for them as far as focusing on real growth. Um, But they're a long way behind the eight ball and they risk some of those areas getting disrupted. So at that pure fintech level... What are we seeing? I think with some of the younger entrepreneurs, and when I say that in capital markets, younger is more around their 30s. It's not real in their 20s. In B2B, it's just not happening right now. You might see that more in B2C. Uh, but uh, we we have a really engaged discussion right at the right at the start with anyone we're going to invest in. We're seeing um, we're seeing some good diversity. We have a female founder in a reg tech company. Uh, Orba, one of our companies, has a female somewhere in the early founder cohort. We have one that's actually a technologist, which is unusual, and she's she's more my age, and she said she was very unique when she came through, um, but she's used to working in very diverse environments. So I think it's a, it behoves all of us, and that's one reason we're quite passionate about this, and me particularly, that we have this on the table as a discussion point right at the start of investing. It wasn't 10 years ago, right? Everyone was about the bottom line and, you know, the the way our markets have evolved, um, I think we're broken and we, we do need to reevaluate how we move forward. So I think we all better beware in financial services. If we don't, it's great that we're making these slow steps forward, but unfortunately right now I think we have to start making some really big steps forward. There have to be some really brave decisions and some really brave um, cultural changes taking place. Uh, inside the organisations, otherwise we're all going to be out of jobs. And Matt, is, is this what you're seeing as well? Is, is that is that uh, you know, or, or do you listen to the world of capital markets and go, you know, why are you so behind? Because in in my world, we've been doing this. You know, Virgin Money's been focused on this stuff for ages. Uh, no, I think you know, I'd rec- recognise all the issues there. Obviously, not 
directly applicable in terms of we don't trade currency, etc. So naturally, the business is a very different business in terms of what we do for our customers. Um, but the dynamic around understanding what skills are required in the future, of course, therefore just takes on a different flavour. I think the way that's come through for us is still, you know, largely around digital, um, digital and analytical capability moving forward. And I think analytical as well as um, the core digital skills are going to be really important for us. Um, and, you, you know, we can match into the diversity and inclusion challenge um, the requirements of us. So, you know, one thing that we've launched this year is a digital apprenticeship um, that takes A-level students through to degree level within four years so you know instead of going off to university and taking on debt etc we've kind of blended together that problem uh, that, that you know obviously uh, school leavers are increasingly having and are putting them off continuing their education um, they can get the degree qualification with us mm-hmm. um, and we're developing the skills that we absolutely do need to start to encourage right at the beginning of careers rather than you know, develop further through the careers. So, um, and, and does that also take into consideration and uh, the ethnic minority mix within who, who you're reaching out? Because because a lot of those apprenticeships apprenticeships are very very valuable tools in in driving that. Oh, they, they, they absolutely are, and we've got a fantastic balance um, on that very program that I described. It's mm-hmm. a twelve person intake for us in the first first time around, which is actually you know for the size of company we are, it's a significant commitment. We've seen great gender balance and ethnicity balance around that starting group. Now, we always had that in mind, but we worked really hard in terms of our attraction to make sure we had a broad appeal to begin with. And then, as with everything we've done, we've just selected on merit, but we've got to the place that we want to get to from a DNI perspective as a result. I mean, just to extend a little bit beyond that, you know, I think a lot of this for us does mean reaching back into society. You know, I think we've got to... Our founder, Richard Branson, talks about business being a force for good. And and I think there's a lot that's very true about that. So from our perspective, you know, one of the very important things we're doing to connect with our society that we actually hire from, predominantly in the northeast, obviously the old Northern Rock heritage of the organisation, um, we're working with a number of schools in the region around supporting their school leavers. So pupils who are definitely not staying in education. You know, they're reaching that 15, 16 years of age and they're, they're definitely going to enter the world of work. And we run a three-day programme um, connected with local schools which prepares the kids for life after school. How do you access work? Practising interview skills, writing CVs, um, getting an insight to what the world of work will be like once you get there. Also, just accessing broader life skills. So... Uh, we get Virgin Active along to help with um, physical well-being. Obviously, we do a financial well-being segment to it. Is it free? Free. And, and we, th- we think a lot about mental health as well. And I think a lot mm. about you know young uh, school leavers and young execs coming into to business as well. And, and all of those kind of life skills are, are incredibly important as well. Got to prepare for that transition. Mm-hmm. I guess what I'm really proud of is that... Um, We've looked to connect with schools um, in the more disadvantaged areas of the northeast, mm-hmm. and again, for us, that you know, there is a higher number of school leavers as a result in those educational establishments. But also, it helps us demonstrate um, that we are a committed 
equal opportunities employer. And it's very much on that grassroots level that, that we're going to see with the, the change and, and, the, and the young execs of the future come through as well. Yeah, I just wanted to quickly call out Founders for Schools. I don't know if you've heard of it. Um, it's, it's, and you're probably working with them, Matt. But they're a fantastic organisation working with schools where they bring uh, an enormous array of female CEOs and executives from the CEO of Code for Schools to uh, the the youngest ever person to float in the stock exchange, Emma Sinclair from Enterprise Jungle, and they're working with kids in schools um, across the board, just not just not just young women, it, it's everybody. And I think when you do that, you get that natural diversity pipeline happening. And I think if you're looking for working with people at a very early stage, please get in touch with Founders for Schools. They've got a fantastic mentoring program. We will. And with pleasure, we'll, we'll promote that through the website as well and across all our social channels. And and, and, I, and I think this has been a really interesting conversation about how, you know, how the world's contrast from capital markets into innovation, into B2C, and, and really some practical ideas and, and some suggestions about not only how to engage with policy, but also how to uh, to help organisations through some of these leadership challenges that they face because they're not easy. It's always performance is going to drive change. But then also, how do you find new talent coming through? Matt and Cathy, thank you so much for taking the time today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. This episode of Diversity Podcast was produced by me, Kieran Yates, on behalf of Julia Streets Productions. Thanks to Cynthia Akinsanya and Robert Pinto Fernandez for their insights. You can find out more about the guests on this week's show on our website, diversitypodcast.com, and that's diversity with a C, not an S. Whilst you're there, you can also sign up to our newsletter for all our latest updates. To be sure of catching all our future podcasts, subscribe to our feed in iTunes or your favourite podcast app. And if you've enjoyed this episode of Diversity, remember to give us a rating or review in iTunes. It all helps promote the show to a wider audience. Finally, our Twitter handle is at DiversityPod. Thanks for listening.